All right, hello. Hi, and welcome to Murder, She Read, the true crime podcast where we read books, give each other dirty looks, and drink copious amounts of wine. I am sitting across from Victoria Campbell. And I am across from the ever-lovely Amanda Fall. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. I hear there was another light <laughs> arson attempt in your neighborhood. Light is a word. Um, yes, the pizza establishment next to me apparently had intentionally left all of the ovens on overnight and had somehow tampered with the fuse box so that those ovens could not be turned off. Can it still be called a pizza establishment if it's been vacant for three months? Ghost pizza establishment. Right. Yeah. This is not interesting. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing today? Well, today, Amanda, we are talking about the book Staving... Saving Stacy, the untold story of the Moody Massacre by Rob St. Clair. This was a good one. It was a good one, and I've taken to calling my period the Moody Massacre, which is my new. Great. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Anytime that you get to reuse something. Uh huh. Just a recycle, (laughs) repurpose. Hello. Um, So let's jump into it. On Memorial Day of 2005, Stacy Moody uh, wakes up in a quiet house. She's a high school student, and her older brother, Scott, is set to graduate from high school that very same day. And we are in Ohio, um, in a small town called Bell Fountain. Bell Fountain? Yes. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, it's spelled like it should be Bell Fontaine. Yeah. But I talked to my boyfriend, who's an Ohio native, and he's been to Bell Fountain. And that's what they call it. Oh, it's wrong. Yeah, I know. It's spelled, again, Fontaine. Great. So it's Bell Fountain, um, and that was the only tidbit I got out of him this week. It's about 45 miles northwest of Columbus. Yeah, so not too far from, like, a big metropolis. Is that a big metropolis? Yeah, it's a real city. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, That's where Ohio State University is. Oh, hi. Yeah. Um, So, again, in Ohio, we're in a white two-story farmhouse that has been in the Moody family for generations it's a small community where nothing bad ever happens. There's lots of farming, lots of church going, lots of just like small town antics. Um, so on the morning in question, on Memorial Day, Stacy wakes up in incredible pain and she stumbles out of bed. She notices that her clothes are stiff, her hair is really stiff, and she makes it downstairs slowly, coming in and out of consciousness. She frantically calls her stepsister Nikki. Nikki is this 25, 29, excuse me, uh, divorced mother of four and is not jazzed to be woken up super early on a holiday, basically. Um, but she rushes over to the Moody household when she hears Stacy saying that her mother has been beaten up and she can't wake her. So Nikki gets to the house with her boyfriend Jeff and finds the house in disarray. Dishes are stacked all over the counters, there's trash strewn across the kitchen, and there is blood everywhere. They find Stacy in a daze. She's covered in blood. That's why everything was so stiff. And she's, like, very badly bruised about the face. And they find Stacy's mother, Sherry, without a pulse in her bed. And in Scott's room, that's brother Scott, who was slated to graduate on this day, they find both Scott and his girlfriend, Paige, dead in bed with a shotgun resting between them. So Nikki's boyfriend is sprinting around the house and he's freaking out. Nikki's freaking out. She's called the police, uh, or she's called 911, excuse me. And the dispatcher is asking for the address, although this is a house that Nikki knows really well. She, like, literally doesn't know the address because it's just, like, the white farmhouse. That's how everybody knows it. So her boyfriend, Jeff, has to run outside to the mailbox, get the address, run back in, and then they give it to the 911 dispatcher, uh, who sends it to the cops who show up. Um, and while Jeff is sprinting about, he finds another body in the living room. 
So a deputy is dispatched, and upon entering the scene, he'll note that Scott was in bed with legs and knees off the end of the bed with a long rifle in his right hand with his finger on the trigger. Backup and paramedics are called, and it's important to note here that the paramedics state that they found the rifle within arm's length of Scott, not in his hand. Okay. So what we do know is that Stacy sustained two gunshot wounds, one to her face and one to her neck, and she had a shattered neck vertebrae, she lost an insane amount of blood, she was airlifted to Columbus due to her injuries, and her vocal cords had been severed due to the bullet entry, as had the main artery to her fucking brain. Um, And the prognosis was not good. They did not think she was going to make it. So back at the farmhouse, detectives arrive, and they discover that the body in the living room belonged to the moody friend, Megan Krause, who had attended this, like, pre-graduation celebration that they had had at Scott's and Stacy's and Sherry's house the night before. Right. So, okay, I watched um, this, like, light documentary (laughs) uh, called Porcelain Dolls. Okay. And it is kind of a follow-up with an interview with Stacy several years after the fact. Okay. And it doesn't talk a ton about the crimes, but she does talk about the lead-up to it. Okay. So every report says that there was this big party at the house. There wasn't. There was like five people. There was a party that they were at, right. but it wasn't their party. They had like crashed some other party, but they're clearly all teenagers. And then they saw a bunch of cops there. that like They weren't on duty, but they were... Everyone knows who the cops are. They're hanging out with teenagers? Uh, so they noticed them, and then the kids left. Okay. So it's Stacy, Scott, Paige, Stacy's boyfriend, and Megan, right? right? Um, and then they go back to the farm, and they're riding four-wheelers and drinking and having just, like... Yeah, just, like, tooling around, but, like, pretty low-key. Like, nobody's wasted. I mean, they had been drinking a lot, so I think that they were all pretty drunk. I think that... So what I had read uh, was that only, like... I guess Stacy was a little drunk, but, like, nobody was, like... And Paige, um, Scott's girlfriend, was drunk. Who, by the way, is 14. Yeah, she's a baby girl. And it's very weird that nothing is mentioned about this 14-year-old dating this 18-year-old. I just found it mildly problematic. Well, we'll talk later about... Great, because no, nothing I read had a problem with it except for just me. Uh, well, apparently that town was very interested, or not interested, really, uh, in age differentials. Um, so there's blood everywhere. It's on the furniture, on the way up the stairs, and detectives record everything. There are 22 shotgun casings in all of the bedrooms, and detectives are interviewing Nikki when Mr. Moody, Sherry's ex-husband and father of Stacy and Scott, arrives on the scene. He asks the cops if they checked on Sherry's parents who live down the road, and he says there must be something wrong if they're not up at the house, given the commotion and the police vehicles and all of the... Right, so they're basically on the property. It's about a fourth of a mile away. Yeah. It's walking distance easily. Yes, absolutely. Um, So detectives drive over to the grandparents' house, which Amanda said is very close, um, to find Cheryl Schaefer and Gary Schaefer both dead of gunshot wounds to the head in the kitchen. And it's a scene of, like, total domesticity. And they were making breakfast. Yeah, there's, like, toast in the toaster, um, save for the gruesome presence of the bodies. Um, so this is a super small community, as I said before, and everyone is talking, family secrets are leaking, and people are speculating wildly. Uh, the sheriff, Sheriff Henry, holds a press conference stating that between 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, Scott got out of bed, loaded his twenty-two, and murdered everyone in the household, then kipped over to his grandparents to do the same before turning the gun on himself. And with that, Sheriff Henry's like, case closed. 
And yeah, we're out of here. They, within 24 hours, had declared basically it was solved. Yeah. Within 48 hours, the, I think the New York Times had written an article about it that I read. Yeah. It was very fast after. Um, but then Stacy fucking makes it. She is taken to Columbus, as I said. She goes through surgery. She comes out. She fights for her life, and she wins. Um, after three days, she's allowed to be interviewed by the coroner, and when asked directly who shot her, uh, the coroner expects her to identify her brother, Scott. However, Stacy describes an older man with gray hair, a blue shirt, and a larger build, and Scott was, like, very slim. Oh, the interview, so they, uh, give us some interview snippets Mm -hmm. in this documentary, and all she says is he has gray hair. She says she can't remember anything else. Just that she saw gray hair. So her story's going to shift and morph a little bit as we continue through this. Um, but from that initial interview, like three days after she had right. been shot, that's what she identifies um, the shooter as. And Scott was 18 with brown hair. He weighed 135 pounds. Um, and he was found sans shirt when the police arrived at the scene. Okay. So some eyebrows pop up. So before we continue... I want to talk about this bonkers will that Stacy's great grandmother had drawn up before her death. <laughs> I was hoping that you would have this because I read it and skipped it. Um, there were many pages on this, so this is the most condensed version that I can possibly do. Um, so Stacy's great grandmother wanted the farm to stay in the family as it had been for many generations, and thought that her own daughter was too weak to handle this, right. as was her granddaughter. So she had the farm inheritance set up as a life estate upon her death, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Don't worry, I'll tell you. Um, so it means that her sole daughter, Cheryl, could never sell it or give it to anybody else. Oh. It's basically just locked into the family. And then upon Cheryl's death, it would pass as a life estate to Sherry, Stacy and Scott's mom. Right. Um, and then upon Sherry's death, it would pass free and clear to Stacy and Scott, who would be free to sell it run it, whatever they wanted to do with it. But this farm is not worth much. This farm is in a state of disarray, and it had been declining for the last decade. Right, and there's something also about the the great-grandmother, like, wasn't paying the taxes, like, it's this whole... There was 56,000 or 59,000 in back taxes that were owed from, like, the 90s. That is a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Um, So there's this whole fiasco around who owns it, and then who will own it, and what they're going to do with it. Um, and it's noted in the book that Sherry, again, it's confusing here because much like the Kardashians, everybody has an S name. Everyone has the same name. Yeah. Uh, Sherry, again, mother of Stacy and Scott, um, in 1990, she needed a lawyer. She had gotten married when she was 17 to 22 year old Scott Moody, who was a local farm boy. And 12 months into her marriage, she had Scott in 1986. And then three years later, they had Stacy. So it's Scott, Stacy, Scott, Sherry, Cheryl. Yeah? Scott, Stacy. Steve. Oh, you said Scott, not oh, Steve. Sorry, That's why I'm confused. Well, I wrote Scott. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so Scott's father is Steve. Yes. Not also Scott. <laughs> not Scott Senior. <laughs> okay. Just because no one's going to follow this either way, so let's make it more complicated. Yeah, there's so many S's. Um, so the young family lived in the farmhouse on Sherry's parents' property, mm-hmm. um, but six months after Stacy's birth in 1990, Sherry filed for divorce from Steve. Perfect. Not her son, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Although she did try to do that later. Busy! Uh, so the divorce was not 
amicable. It was ugly by all standards. Uh, Sherry Kay accused Moody, as I'm going to start calling him. There we go. Moody Sr. Um, of sexual abuse of Scott, which was unfounded. And a bunch of just, like, fucking back-and-forth bullshit went on until the divorce finally went through in 92. But the fighting didn't stop there. Sherry attempted to destroy her children's relationship with their father. And she did. Oh. Um, at the time of her death, Scott was not speaking to his dad, and Stacy rarely visited him and his new wife and family. So, let me kick this to you, Amanda. Um, back in the present, another detective, Detective Stout, comes to talk to Stacy about what she saw that night. And she's out of the hospital, but her health is still pretty tenuous at this point. Uh, she had a bullet that doctors opted to leave in her neck as it was close to a vertebrae, and any wrong move could paralyze her. Still, after surgery, she has to be, like, very still for four months. Okay. And this detective is basically pressing her to say that Scott was the shooter, and she will, but later she's going to go back on this statement before retreating to it again. So there's this weird dynamic of her saying initially after the incident that it was this gray-haired man with this blue shirt of this stockier build, and as we've said earlier, the sheriff has claimed that this case is, like, open and close, young Scott did it, he's a psychopath, whatever happened, um, but so she diverges from her original statement, then says her brother does it, then she comes back on it, then she says her brother did it again. Okay, well, I mean, there seems to be no specific cause for this act of family annihilation. Right. Um, there is no argument beforehand, no reason that anyone is led to believe that this is coming. However, three months prior to the shooting, Stacy and Scott's mother, Sherry, visited a local domestic abuse clinic. Yes. She said she was having problems with her son and was looking for help removing him from her home. Sherry said her son was violent and had anger problems, and she never really divulges why he has these problems, and she never returns and never calls back. So it was like a one-off visit. Right. Okay. Um, Stacy makes no mention of this. Stacy makes no mention of any violence in the house. She does say that her and her uh, brother's relationship was tumultuous when they were children. Well, yeah, as but I imagine. You, yeah, that sounds brother, right. Yeah. Um... The fact that, I mean, they were hanging out willingly the night before, I have no idea. It's a lot of speculation as to what could have been the cause. Neighbors try to say that because of the issues that the family was having financially, that there was a lot of pressure on Scott. And since he was graduating, he didn't have any college plans. He was kind of obligated to stay around, make some money, contribute to the family in that way. Right, and run the farm. And yeah, basically just stay on the farm, run the farm. That was the life that he was handed. Right. Um, Yeah, and people in the community are also starting to be suspicious that the police have it wrong and that Scott wasn't the shooter. Um, And for a number of reasons. So not only to the fact that there's not like a really clear motive here. Scott was also shot twice. Yes. And so for starters, he had been shot behind the ear. Okay, so the first shot entered behind and above his left ear and lodged into his sinus. Mm -hmm. So that would have had to been shot with his left hand. Yes, and he's right-handed. Right. Also, I'm not, I don't know a lot about guns, but he it's a shotgun. Like a twenty-two is this long. It's like a, this big. Sure. Like imagine if it were you and you decided to kill yourself... Well, I got these short five foot four arms. 
I imagine he you was can't reach a little taller. <laughs> uh, but you still couldn't, like, the logistics of it. So during the trial, they did have some professional, I don't know, forensic something rather, come in. They used a situation in which there was a confirmed suicide in a similar manner. Okay. So they had used that as an example of, like, the precedent that this is possible, however improbable. Right. Okay, so, as you said, let's come back to it. You said there right. were two shots, so the first one behind the ear, and then was the other Second one? shot entered the right side of his mouth and was fatal. So this would have been made with his right hand. Right. Which would explain why the gun was on the right-hand side. Right. Um, but I had also read in the book that, like, in many suicide cases, there are usually not two shots. No. Right. But that's why I said that... Yeah, that it was possible. It was possible. It is improbable, but it is not impossible. Okay. Um, So... Um, Oh, and then one other thing of note with that is that apparently the rest of the victims were shot in a similar manner, left-hand side above the ear. So there is a possibility he was trying to stage it to make it look like he wasn't the one who did it. I don't know. It's like 17. You're so stupid. You can't do that. Whatever. We'll talk about it. Um, so, Great. I think that's why we're here. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so again, the community is very um, suspicious. And then there is uh, Chief Murray who comes in. And he's super skeptical of the idea that Scott had killed his entire family. And he insisted that someone had shot Scott behind the ear before repositioning his body and the gun. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, but we'll go into more detail about the way that Scott's body was found was that he basically was on his knees on the side of the bed while his girlfriend Paige was asleep on the bed. Um, but from the blood stains that existed, it looked, there were like, they referred to them as like railroad tracks. It was like as if his body had been pulled down to the knees. Interesting. Um, so not that he organically was like that like he had been postured in that way um so this man uh, is very very specific excuse me suspicious and specific um and specifically suspicious um and he also noted that the positioning of scott's arms looked like wildly staged um and it was detective murray reasons too convenient to have found scott with his hand on the trigger because he would have recoiled naturally as a body would after the shooting and as you die. Okay, but let me just postulate. Okay. All the P words. This is, like we said, a small town. Uh Its detectives are not homicide detectives. Is there a possibility that they came in and not that it was tampering with the scene, but that they were trying to revive and check for pulses and moved bodies before sure. photos were taken sure. or an actual walkthrough was done? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but you. It might not be like a virginly set crime scene. Correct. Sure. Um, but again, I will say there was that discrepancy that I mentioned earlier. I mean, I guess, yeah, that, that goes... Well, because then we also had Nikki and her boyfriend running throughout the house checking for pulses as well. And everybody's... Yeah. Yeah. Because from the call that Stacy makes, makes to Nikki, she said that she's been beat up and her mom's been beat up. Right. So they aren't walking in thinking that they're walking into this horror scene. Right. So I imagine you're going bed to bed, checking, checking for pulses, everybody. trying to figure out what yeah. the fuck happened. That's true. Um... What, did I ruin everything? No, but if that were the case, then the first cop who was there who said that he 
found Scott's finger on the trigger wouldn't have found it that way, right? So, like, if it had already slipped because of Nikki or Jeff interfering with how the bodies were positioned, it already would have happened. But then the second detective came in and didn't say that. Right, the paramedic said that it was just the gun was lying between um, Scott and Paige. So then either way, the two accounts are different. Yes. So we have issues either way. It's a whole lot of issues. Um, And it's gonna get worse. Great. Um, Another thing that Detective Murray is going to say, um, additionally, Scott's socks were white and pristinely clean, basically indicating that he hadn't tromped tromped through a blood mess of a house. Well, he might have worn shoes. (laughs) No. So his boots were over on the side of the bed. They were muddy because of the four-wheeling earlier. Right. But there was no debris on them. There was, like, nothing um, that would have indicated that, like, there was any blood or he had gone through anything hmm. else. Um, just small things, but we'll come Baby back Baby details. To okay. So, in addition, blood spatter doesn't match the proposed theory. Uh, Murray goes back to the alleged motive, the idea of Steve having basically, Scott, Jesus, snapped um, because of the, like, pressure of the farm work and the fate of the family laying on his young shoulders essentially um but if that were the case he would have had to had this nice night with his friends right he's at this one party they come home they drink some beers they go on the four wheelers everybody goes to bed Mm -hmm. he wakes up in a fucking foul rage while everybody else is asleep he trots down to his grandparents house he goes to their basement which is where they kept their guns, maybe gets a gun down there. He skips back upstairs, executes his grandparents very professionally, um, zips back up to the main house, and does the same. And it just doesn't... Like, his behavior the night before wasn't indicative of this sort of mental break. No, not necessarily. One thing that I did read was that him and his grandfather had a very difficult relationship. Yes. That his grandfather expected a lot of him and was kind of like, all right, son... Now you're a man, here's your responsibility. And it could have been, he had this great night with friends, was looking forward to his future, goes up to meet his grandparents for breakfast, and they get in this fight. And he makes one shot, knows that now it's over for him. I don't know why he has to kill everyone, but who knows? I mean, family annihilation is not... Family annihilation is more common than an outsider coming in and killing an entire yes. family. Yeah, 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 for sure. Technically. Sure. Um, I like all of your devil's advocacy. I'm very sorry. It's I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just saying yes a lot. <laughs> um, and, okay, so if you're keeping in my narrative, um, additionally, it was noted by all of Scott's friends that he did not like guns, he did not like shooting and was not very adept at using a gun. You can have secrets. <laughs> um, and then all of the shots that had wiped out the Moody family looked like V professional. Well, they were V asleep. <laughs> um, but don't worry, Detective Stout, whom I mentioned before, is still on the case and he's very concerned about getting the real story from Stacy. Yeah, so he says. Yes. Uh, So much so that he goes ahead and he takes her out to lunch, one-on-one, to the Red Lobster. They go out to lunch a second time. And this time, I think they go to, like, a McDonald's or Burger King or some bullshit. And um, then they eat in his detective car. He has her sit on his lap to drive, as you usually do with somebody who's been through a traumatic event. And she's 15, 
now. And he has a raging erection, which she's very aware of. I don't like any of this. Um, and he tells her he has naked pictures of her in his desk drawer from when she was in the hospital. And that he likes to show them off to all the other sheriffs. What? An asshole. She freaks out about this and he's like, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's Okay, so what I have is that we've already established he's one of the first detectives on the scene. He's the very first detective to interview Stacy. Following the shooting, Stacy goes to live with her dad and her stepmother. Yes. They encourage her to keep in contact with Stout. Well, yeah, and they Stout tells them that he's trying to get her to open up, to like really like get in touch with what happened that night. Right. And yeah. so they they want her to feel comfortable knowing that like there is still an investigation going cuz I imagine she's very upset over the fact that it's open and shut her brother goodbye. Yeah. Um in October of that year, Stacy's stepmother picks up the phone, which is Wait, a landline? Let's not you got get more? Yeah. Okay. I'll go back to you in a second. Um, so after this creepy situation um, where she sat on his lap and drove the car while he had a huge boner, um, he goes her into showing him her tits. Let's uh, get it touching. Is this all Stacy's account? Nipple to nipple, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, she will say it's totally consensual. Like, she was, she, as a 15-year-old, whatever you're... Yeah, that's not consent, but... Um, No, in Ohio, in fact, I looked it up at 16. So, um, there's a... He's very handsy. Uh, The third time they go out for lunch is, again, under the premise of her opening up more. Conveniently, this is on her 16th birthday. Oh, great. The age of consent in Ohio. Um, And takes her out to a nearby lake. He buys her Burger King. um, Really showing off. Um, They make out in his car. Um... And then it's not really clear if they get all the way naked, but like... Mm, I don't want to know. Yeah. Does the author do an interview with Stacy? Is that where this is coming from? No. Oh. I don't think it's purely conjecture on his part. I don't know what the source was there, but no, it's not an interview with Stacy. Okay. Just try... Well, obviously, like, he's got more resources than I do on the internet. I was looking up everything, and there's not a lot of information. We'll get to probably why. Well, I think, um... I think that he must have, or there had to be, like, court records, because later, um, not to give this We'll get thing. there. Okay. We'll get there. Anyway, um, so Stout is perhaps not the best detective, can we say that? Mm, he's iffy. Yeah, definitely iffy. Um, another fun anecdote about him, um, a local business was hosting, like, a 50-50 raffle for Stacy's family. And uh, the winner was supposed to take 50% of it and then give 50% to Stacy's family. Um, and instead of doing that, Detective Stout gave it to his wife. Oh, he wins? Yeah. Great. And now I've decided he's the killer. Just FYI, this is the point of the book where I have started very aggressively putting... You're making a lot of leaps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's this, fine. This is where I am right now. This is what I wrote into my notes while I was reading this narrative. Okay, you're not the only one that thinks it's a possibility. However, there is no proof that they'd ever met before. I have some more information later. (laughs) Stop (laughs) winking at me. So the affair between the two continues, and their relationship escalates. Escalates. Um, Stacy, after being prompted by Stout, admits that her brother was one hundo p. Was the note that I took the shooter. Uh, But blessedly, Stacy's stepmom. Picks up the phone. Yes. Landline. Thank God for a landline. Uh, she overhears Stacy telling Stout that she is going to make up this elaborate lie 
so that they can spend the weekend together. And she rightfully flips the fuck out. Right. And Seth has a wife also, and his wife was going out of town that weekend, and they were like, well, I don't know who knows. Right. So Stacy's stepmother contacts Children's Services, and an investigation on John Stout begins. Yes. Um, there's a formal hearing, and old Sheriff Henry, who was the open closed book of this case, um, has to let Stout go from his position. Fires his ass. But he's bummed about this. He's like, he's a good man. Yeah, no one wants to, which is bullshit. So he's indicted by a grand jury on two counts of felony sexual sexual battery and on misdemeanor charges of public indecency, endangering children, interference with custody, and contributing to the unruliness of a minor. Yes, and before, I have a lot of information on the trial because I read all of the transcripts. Mm. Um, so let me give you a few choice items. Um, but he was actually, so like the way that the Bell Fountain... Uh, police were going to do it was just to let him go and not deal with it right but the ohio attorney general's office gets wind of it and they're like hey bitch <laughs> let's find out what you did um and see if something's criminal yeah but pretty quickly they drop the sexual battery charges don't they, they? Do. well yes they do um yeah that's dismissed by two judges and then again by an appeals court right but so like when he goes to trial the first time um it doesn't look great for him. Um, but what's also happening now is that everybody in town has been suspicious the whole time that something is awry here in this family annihilation. Yeah, because this first trial is 2006, so yes. we're only the year later. Yeah, it's not a far breath from the actual mm-hmm. murders. And so everybody in town is like, what the fuck? One, we didn't think Scott did this. And two, this guy's a fucking pervert. What else has he lied about? Um, so... They go to trial, he goes before the grand jury, and he looks like a real fucking piece of shit. He perjures himself again and again. He, uh, Detective Stout, blames Stacy for the sexual advances, although she's 15. Yeah, he says that all he was trying to do was get more information out of her. I'm just a sweet boy. You're a sweet pervert, is what you are. <laughs> um, and he claims nothing really happened, and then he blames her parents also for letting her be alone with him. Wait, because I'm not supposed to be trusted? He's, like, the whole transcript is bonkers. He's trying to play that, like, good old boy. I can't wait till we get to what he admits to in a couple years. (laughs) I don't have that, so I'm so excited. Great. Okay. Um, So all of this back and forth is going on. He claims that in his line of work, it's not uncommon to be in the presence of sexually forward individuals. Again, she's 15 fucking years old. Um, So this is just, like, his everyday. He's just used to women coming on to him and... He ignores it. it would this never is a damaged child. Yeah, she is what this is. This yeah. is a child who has been through so much trauma. Mm-hmm. This is not an adult woman coming on to you. No, and I'm sure that no one would. First of all, I tried to find pictures of him. I could long. not I find could... photos of him. I'm gonna assume not attractive. <sighs> Pulled move. I'll second that. <laughs> anyway, um, so he's just like really leaning into calling Stacy, who has nearly been murdered, a slut with a penchant for older men and with a wild libido and imagination. I will kill him myself. <laughs> you should. Um, this is the part of the podcast where I start making threats. And the finally, who <laughs> has a clean one? Um, and so, despite this, uh, the grand jury hands down an indictment finding him guilty, as Amanda said, public indecency, endangering children, interference with custody, contributing to unruliness or delinquency of a minor, and at this point, Amanda, still two counts of sexual battery. Um, so, 
now we have a situation in which everybody in the community is like, what the fuck? Um, oh, they're not taking kindly to no. the... Is it odd? Yeah. No. <laughs> so not we, one bit. They're not amused. Um, and now they definitely think that, again, as I said, if John Stout has lied about his interactions with Stacy, what else has he lied about? I don't have anything again until 2009. Would you like to take it back? I've got on the three-year anniversary of the shootings. Okay, go for it. <laughs> All right. So it's three years, almost to the day of the anniversary of the shootings. And Stacy is at the sentencing hearing of John Stout. Okay. Is this where we're at now? Go for it. Okay, cool. He has pled guilty to a charge of... Oh, it's the other side of my page. <laughs> Sorry, that was not funny. He has pled guilty to an attempt of child endangering. He admits that once... Several months after the shootings, he had Stacy in his car. Uh-huh. He considered speeding. Shut the fuck up. He handcuffed her to a steering wheel. He considered speeding, which would have technically put her in danger. So, yes, technically, I am guilty. That is all that he will admit to. What a little trash hole. He says he's guilty only for that. That's it. He can fuck the fuck off. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That is a long way from sexual assault. That is the longest way from sexual assault you can possibly get. Yeah. Right. Bullshit. So Stout maintains that he only befriended Stacy because he thought that she knew more about the shootings than she had let on. Um, and then I have, so victim, victim advocacy, good God. Okay. Victim advocate Cindy Kerr reads this statement written by Stacy Moody to the court. So Stacy writes that she was afraid of what her life would be like after the shootings and that Stout felt like the only person she could trust. He knew just what to say to me. He understood how I felt. John took advantage of me at a time in my life when I didn't know what would happen next. My family was dead, gone forever. John made me feel like he cared. She goes on to say, isn't it time to be a man and admit what you did? If it was your daughter, wouldn't you want justice? I want you held accountable for what you did to me. Ultimately, Stout ends up with a 90-day jail sentence, which is suspended. What? He's put on supervised probation for a year in order to pay a $250 fine. No. That's it. That's disgusting. That's all he gets. That's foul. It's one of the worst things I've ever heard. Oh my god. I'm so upset by this. What terrible trash garbage. So fuck you, Ohio. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. Fuck you, Ohio. Sorry, the whole state has to go down for this one town who can't pronounce its name correctly, but this is where we're at. Uh, I mean, it's Bellefontaine. <laughs> it's Bellefontaine. Um, the next thing I have is in 2009, uh, Stacy would undergo hypnosis. Um, oh. Yeah, about the night of the shooting. I would like to go under hypnosis to recover a lot of my 20s. Do you think they could do that for me? You know, I would not want to go <laughs> Questions. Do you? Because I think your best. <laughs> Should I keep that one shut? Yeah, it's a fucking lock that shit. Mm-mm. You're probably right. I know I'm right. I'm just curious. <laughs> Don't ask, Amanda. Don't ask. Um, so yeah, in 2009, she goes under hypnosis about the night of the suit- shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time again, she claims to have seen an older man with gray hair, a blue shirt, pointing a gun at her. Okay, this is where we get it. Yes. Right, so... I didn't interject earlier, but 
Stacy had awoken while the shooter was basically on top of her. Right. Which is why she was shot in the neck and not the head. Right. Because she spins to look at him and he misses. And she was sleeping on her stomach. Yeah. Yeah. And he shoots twice, assumes she's dead because she passes out immediately. That's the only reason she lived. Yeah. But she did get a look. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No, because she... Yeah. Over the shoulder. (laughs) You can't see what she's doing right now. She's just flipping her head over her shoulder. Um... Yeah, so she, I mean, she did, but I mean, the amount of trauma that she sustained just bodily and then emotionally. False memories are very possible here. Yeah, for sure. So, although Amanda has been devilishly advocating this whole time. Sorry. I would like to say that I have corralled a number of pieces of evidence that I think point to the fact that it was not Scott. Are you the detective now? I'm the detective. It's a turn of events. You may call me Detective Campbell. So I've mentioned some of these, and I have not mentioned all of them. But here are, what do I have, 11 points of information. I want a fucking PowerPoint if we're going to do this. (laughs) Let me get my clicker. Um, Why? I wish I had done that next time. Um, A full presentation that only I can see? Yes. Great. This is great podcasting. Instagram slides up? You can do that yourself. (laughs) Um, So here are the 11 pieces of information. I can't wait to argue every one of them. Go for it. Why I think that Scott was not the shooter. Okay, so we said that on the night of the party, the not party party, so the night before the shootings, at the Moody household, we had the mother, we had Stacy, we had Scott, we had Scott's girlfriend, Paige, we also had Stacy's boyfriend, and then we had a bonus friend, Brett. Who's Brett? He was just like a friend of the family who was over there too. Um, he's not mentioned. Um, along with Megan. So actually there were... Sorry. So mom, Scott, Stacy, Stacy's boyfriend, Scott's girlfriend. <laughs> Is your first argument just listing names right. until I give up? And then Megan, who <laughs> okay. was killed. Um, so that's seven people. When Andrew Denny, who is Stacy's boyfriend, leaves the house, he saw a male lying on the sofa. And Brett Davison, who is a family friend, slept on the sofa that night, but Davison said that he had already left before Andrew Denny had. So he remembers seeing Denny's distinctive truck in the driveway when he took off. So who was on the sofa? Are you trying to tell me that a killer came in, took a nap, and then killed a family? No, I'm not saying it was a straight person. The other thing that I don't know if you have notes about um, was that Stacy's mom had had two boyfriends. I don't want to go into them because they distract a lot from the narrative. Um, but one of them was known for growing marijuana. Um, and the other one seemingly was like a decent neighborhood guy. Not that growing marijuana by any means. Oh, I was going to say, you know that thing. growing marijuana makes you a murderer. Yeah, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Leaps and bounds. So, with that said, um, according to Davison, he left at 6 a.m. while Denny and Stacy would say that he left just before 7. And so if Brett wasn't asleep on the sofa, then who was? Who did Denny see? Is one question that I have. Um, Okay, so my second thing is, um, several reports said that the front door to grandparents Gary and Cheryl's house was locked. Well, you can just lock a door on your way out. But there was a key. Like, in the... On the inside, like, door situation. Then how would anyone have gotten out? It's an excellent question. You're not proving anything. I'm doing great detective work. <laughs> You're 
you're just telling me things. Um, three. <laughs> don't make none of these have added up to anything. Um, okay, and at some point, for this is my fifth point, uh, Stacy at some point claimed to beloved Detective Stown that she had heard Paige and Scott fighting the night before the shooting. And she thought she heard Paige say something along the lines of, put it down. But if that was like when the shooting had happened, when they were fighting and she'd heard Paige say, put it down to her brother, as she thought Paige was found, like tucked sweetly into bed, like definitely had been asleep when she was shot. Is this supposed to be for or against Scott? I would say that this is for Scott. Your whole point was to do against Scott. (laughs) No. I'm in favor of Scott. You're in favor of the killer. Okay. I'm supporting him. (laughs) This isn't going anywhere. I have many more points. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so fine. My sixth one, we come back to Scott having inflicted the wounds on himself. Okay, we've already talked about that. Yep. And then the seventh point being that Stacy only heard two more shots after she had been shot for the second time. Um, Had Scott gone to his room, shot Paige, then shot himself twice... She should have heard more shots. Arguably, she was losing a lot of blood. I <laughs> she, see. Had, she had been shot twice in the neck and head. Um, I imagine she blacked out for a bit. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Scott had also recently had a hernia that had inhibited his movements. Nine, no one knows where the fuck that gun came from. It was Scott's gun. It was not Scott's gun. He yeah. didn't have any guns. According to the domestic what was it the domestic abuse clinic that woman said that during her interview she asked sherry does he have any weapons she said yes he has guns everything i read said that he had no guns apparently he had a lot of guns he didn't like them at all he liked guns never shot them he had guns no his mom had guns in the house so but not a 22 everything i read said that it was his 22 it was not his 22 If we're believing the book. I mean, who knows what to believe, really? (laughs) Um, And then the last thing is that the morning of the murders, neighbors saw a gray-haired man running from the farmhouse. I feel like the question of whose gun is it could have been answered pretty quickly. Why? Right? Aren't they registered to people? Yeah. And so there was not a twenty-two registered to either um, the Moody family or the But who was the gun registered to? They don't know. They still don't know. That's a pretty easy lookup. But they didn't find the gun. Oh, shit, they did find the gun. <laughs> what are you trying Sorry. to say? <laughs> you have talked yourself in a bad circle, and I don't think you won this one. I think that I won this one. I mean, the, the gun doesn't belong to anyone. So says the book. Yeah. So says the, every article I read that it's... I have. <laughs> Everything else I read was his. Let me do my last thing. Uh, there's more points? I have two more. Okay, let's go. And I just did one of them. So the morning of the murders, the neighbors saw a man running from the farmhouse who was gray-haired. It was not Jeff who was going to go look for the mailbox number. Um, it was a stranger. Um, and a police helicopter was even sent out to look for this man. They did not find him, obviously. And my final point, the sticking point for me, um, the day before the murders... Uh, the phone was ringing off the hook at the police station, and Deputy Sheriff Kurt, who was like a hanger-on and loved the boys in blue, uh, answered. He took down a long note, and after he hung up, he turned to the other detectives in the room and told them that some farmer out on 47, which is where the White Farmhouse was, 
wanted to see Sheriff Henry immediately because he had just found out that the uh, asshole detectives had been having sex with his granddaughter and her friends. Um, and basically said that the cops had been threatening to arrest the girls unless they went along with it. And uh, he also mentioned something about drugs. And the man who made that call was Gary Schaefer. Interesting. But also, nowhere in anything that I read, even in that Reddit thread, I deep dove down. <laughs> Reddit's got all the goods. But what this book did was sell me, clearly, um, on the deep conspiracy that it was not, in fact, Scott. That it was Stout? Or just a member of the police. So, basically, there was a lot of talk in town and, like, a lot of substantiated incidents in town where the police would be having sex with underage girls. Like, a lot. Why is everyone in this town touching? They're busy. Maybe just instead of all of the underage touching, learn how to say your town name correctly. Mm -mm. And then you don't have to do all the touching. Make it French, but make it touch. No, I don't like you. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there were, there were just like a lot of incidents of like bad police work and also dirty cops. And there was more information that I didn't even get into about Stout and how he's handled other cases and people whom he has sent to jail and how he is not perhaps the most honest of detectives. I mean, that I believe, yes. 100%. And I'm here for a conspiracy. I'm not saying you're not right. I'm saying your evidence is lacking. Well, I'm not <laughs> And to be clear... But I do think that... I mean, I, I don't think that we'll ever have an answer here. No, and uh, like by Ohio standard, the shit is closed. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that it is pretty easily wrapped up with Scott. Yeah, you put a bow on it. But, like, even with, like, some light detective work, it still makes... It makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, the idea of, like, police... But everyone loves yes. an idea of a conspiracy. <laughs> everyone loves an idea. <laughs> everyone loves an idea. Sometimes those ideas aren't right. Um, but, so, yeah, so the book that I read is selling me... Can I just tell you that I expected to walk into this and I had planned on arguing the conspiracy. I planned on doing <laughs> pro and after sitting down, I, I guess I decided I'm against it. That's stupid. It's I, D-U-M dumb version. That's how D-U-M. they spell it in Bell Fountain. Oh God. All right. Let's end this in a positive way. Yes. So Stacy. Is doing great. Yeah, she lives in Pennsylvania. She's married. She's got some kids. Yeah, I her first son was Edric Scott. Oh, very nice. She still does not believe that Scott was guilty. She has no interest in finding out who was. Um, she's just living her life. Yeah, as she should be. She's she a, came through hell. Yeah, that's the happy note. That's all I got. Um, I will say that if I had to give this book a rating, solid four out of five. Yeah, you liked it. Yeah, it was a quick, quick read. Sounds like a fun read. Yeah, and I just got taken down a rabbit hole, so I'm here for that. Yeah, you went a little wild. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. If you want to, you know, I think it would be like great to read on a plane or on a beach. So what do we know about the author? Has he? Oh, I've never looked him up. The, t- the cover was terrible, so like it could all. I might have only book. book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. No, I, I think he's actually a like well-ish established true crime writer. Maybe I'll look into it and find out. (laughs) Maybe I should have already done that. Good book. Suggested read. Yeah. Staving Stacey. The Untold Story of the Moody Massacre. Again, you said Staving (laughs) Stacey.
Well, so that's episode 14. That's fucking it, guys. Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think we're getting really good at our really concise intros. Mm. If only we could figure out how to wrap this shit up. Well, the thing is that we've drank a bottle of wine at this point, so it gets a little... Well, I drank most of it. I'm still working on my glass. I'm Princess Angel. You are double fisting wine. Can I tell them that? Yes, you may. I am going to close the book on saving Stacy. It sounds like a robot came in and just superimposed (laughs) that over your gibberish. Uh, By Rob St. Clair. So if you haven't, follow us on Instagram. Murder, she read pod. And we'll see you guys next week. You can also email us. I've not checked it in a month and a half. Every fucking week I mean to email you something threatening and I don't. <laughs> I'll never see it. Don't <laughs> worry. Uh, no, email her if you want, though. So, with Tell that, all your friends. Yeah. Do you have friends? We don't. No, we're looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> They're in this room. It's me, you, and that microphone. <sighs> yeah, this Even he doesn't want to be here. <laughs> I'm gonna put sad googly eyes on him. Alright, goodbye!